Well, we're taking a short break from our series in Matthew. Uh, We just wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount uh, last Lord's Day morning. So we're taking a break for just two weeks to look at uh, what a deacon is. Lord willing, we'll do that today. And then next week, Lord willing, what an elder is. Um, we are, we're looking at, uh, right, we're, we're opening up nominations for officers in our church. And so we want to just take a minute to step back and remind ourselves what the role of a deacon is, what the role of an elder is, what we should look for in a deacon, and what we should look for in an elder, and how we can support the current deacons and elders in their work, how we can pray for them, how we can uh, make ourselves available to them, say, how can I help, what can I do? Um, so hopefully you've seen the email that went out about this already. Um, uh, there's also a uh, copy of it in the back, on the back table, that letter there. So feel free to take a look at that after the service. There's also in the bulletin um, a little thing called the Deacon's Catechism, which uh, an OPC pastor named Bill Shishko put together, which I just found recently and found very helpful. And then there's also with that insert a little nomination form to fill out to nominate someone to be an elder or a deacon. You have to be a church member. You have to be at least 18 years old to nominate someone. And um, you have to check with the person. And they have to say yes before you uh, can, can nominate them. So, All right. So what we're going to do this morning is turn to Scripture and see what the Lord says in His Word um, about, uh, about deacons. So our first text is Leviticus 19, we see the foundations of mercy ministry here built into Old Testament law. Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 18. This is the very word of God, so let's give it all our attention now. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And now our sermon text, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. 
Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray to him now together. Our great God and gracious Father, by your word now, give us instruction, wisdom, understanding, and build us up together as a church that we might reflect our Lord Jesus Christ that we might reflect His priorities and His interests and His kingdom. We pray that You would fill us and equip us now by Your Spirit as You minister Your Word to us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. It must have been a tremendous thing to be a part of the church in Jerusalem in those early, heady days we just read about in Acts chapter 6. Your pastors are the apostles, right? Peter, John. Right, these, these great uh, giants of the faith. And, 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 and they're preaching God's Word to you. And the Holy Spirit has just come in Pentecost. And, and, and it's like fire is just running through the church there in Jerusalem. The news of Jesus' resurrection is still so fresh. His ascension just still so recently happened. And the apostles are announcing Jesus has gone to heaven. He's poured out his spirit. You've seen it and you see the effects of it as we preach his word and his gospel. And people are being converted to Christ. And even though their church there is suffering, they're suffering boldly with courage and conviction. They're not backing down off the gospel. They're they're keeping a faithful witness. These same apostles who just a few weeks before had run as soon as they saw a sight of persecution, caught a whiff of it, they bolted. Now persecution comes and they stand fast and they hold to the gospel because they have the Spirit of Christ in them, giving them this great courage. And, and so we see the church is just booming in these early chapters of Acts. Thousands are being converted. But with growth comes growing pains. And what we see here in Acts chapter 6 is a bit of the growing pains, right? There's this dramatic growth, exponential growth. But they also see that there's things that are going wrong. There's a group of people in this early church there that's getting overlooked. They're getting hurt. They're they're being left out. We read in verse 1 that the Hellenists made a complaint against the Hebrews. The Hellenists are the the Jews who, who speak Greek and they take on aspects of Greek culture. Now, the Hebrews are those who don't do those things, right? There's a sharp, obvious divide. You can imagine the kinds of tensions that would have been between these two types of people. They're like the local people and the people from away, 
right? They, they just, you can tell there's something different about them. And so there are some tensions there, perhaps. And, and, and the group, that, the Greek-speaking group there, they're complaining because their widows are being overlooked. The early church, right, they, they had this, uh, the, this situation where uh, they had both of these people, groups, coming together in, in the church. And they had a daily distribution for the poor. Uh, they, they, the people were giving generously to the church, and so they had plenty to give to the poor to take care of them so that no one would be in need. But some people are getting it and some people aren't. It's not because there's not enough to go around, but because some people are just getting overlooked. So the, the Hellenists, these Greek-speaking Jews, they bring their complaint. Now it seems from the text, it's not like they're spreading a grumbling, uh, gossiping kind of complaint. It seems like they, they bring it the appropriate way, uh, that they bring it to the apostles. And they say, hey, we have this concern. Right? Our widows are getting overlooked. We're sure it's just an oversight, but, um, but this should be addressed. So what do the apostles do? Uh, they come up with a plan, and they call a congregational meeting for the church in Jerusalem. Uh, they, their, their plan, uh, in a nutshell, is this. We need another office in the church. We need another office because there's too much work to do. We need to divide up the labor here because we're too busy, right? We've got this work that Christ gave us to preach the gospel, to teach his word and to be faithful and constant in prayer. But there's more that needs to be done than that. And if we do that other stuff that needs to be done, then we're going to fail in this obligation. So we need another office in the church. We need someone ordained or some man ordained to take care of the temporal needs, to take care of the poor, the ministry of mercy. What we're seeing here is the groundwork of what will become the office of deacon, which is going to be a perpetual office in the church, as we see Paul writing in various of his letters, the letter to 1 Timothy, his letter uh, to Philippians, he'll write about uh, the deacons of the church. And this is a continuing office in the church. And here in Acts 6, we see the groundwork laid for it. So what I want to do this morning, as we consider as a church, what should a deacon at LOPC be doing, and what kind of man should fill that office, right, as we think about those important questions, let's turn and see what Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7, tells us about these things. The first thing that Acts 6 shows us is that the essence of diaconal ministry is mercy ministry. That's our first heading, the essence of diaconal ministry is mercy ministry. Diaconal ministry is mercy ministry. Look with me at verse 2. If you have the text open, the apostles sum it up here nicely. It's not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Very simply, that's the job description of the first deacons in Acts. This is why they are ordained. To serve tables. Right? To serve the poor. To, to provide for the poor. People were giving to the church generously so the apostles could use this money to care for the poor. And now they're passing this task on to the deacons of the church. Brothers and sisters, this means for us that the first task, the essential task of the deacon, is mercy ministry. Caring for the poor in the church. Deacons are not, first of all, trustees of the church. They're not... Uh, the handyman for the church. They are not 
the treasurer for the church, first of all. They can do all those things, and we're going to look at some of those in a a little bit. But first of all, their job is mercy ministry. The deacon's most basic job, his most basic calling, is to care for the poor, to take care of the widows, to see that they are taking care of the physical needs of the poor in the church. This mercy ministry the deacons are called to operates in three areas. Um, it starts with the, with the local church, of course. This is right. We see this right here in Acts six. It's very clear they're not they're not doing mercy ministry for the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem or the poor Gentiles off the street who aren't Christians in Jerusalem. Right? It's it's the those who are in the church that they're concerned for here. Um, that's that's uh, that's the focus. There, there's not a there's not a mention of a wider ministry than that here in Acts chapter six and. We see this same principle in Jesus' words in Matthew 25, verse 40, when he says there, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus is talking there about uh, if, if you give someone a cup of cold water in my name, if you visit someone who's sick in my name, you did it for me. But Jesus doesn't mean if you just do it for any, anybody, but if you do it for one of mine, one of my brothers. And what we see in Acts 6 is that this mercy ministry, first and foremost, is for the church and for the local church. That is where the focus should begin. But the focus shouldn't end there. Right? Mercy ministry, the deacons do, starts with the church. That's the first thing. But it shouldn't end there. There should be a wider scope to it than that as well. Right? Because the church isn't just the church in Jerusalem or the church in Lymington, but it's, it's the wider church. And even though this isn't right reflected here in Acts chapter 6, it is reflected other places in the New Testament that the churches that Paul is going and planting are to be concerned for the other churches that he's been planting. We see Paul raising support from one church that they might send it to another church. Second Corinthians, for example, is a letter written in part to encourage the Corinthian church in their gift to the church in Jerusalem. And he tells them there about how generous the church in Thessalonica was as well, giving even beyond their means to help another church whom they haven't probably even met. But, but, but So we see from the New Testament, the deacon's task is mercy ministry. It starts with the local church, but then it goes beyond to the regional church, the wider church. So our deacons should be thinking carefully and wisely How can we use the resources God has given us to meet the physical needs of suffering, needy Christians in our church and in our presbytery and in our denomination and even around the world? Right. We we, we have limited resources, but but what can we give for a particular mission or a particular need? This is why the OPC has um, has diaconal missionaries, for instance, serving in in our Uganda missions field. This is why we have a disaster relief fund set up for the situation in Ukraine, because it's mercy ministry for our church, but also for Christ's church everywhere. That's the second sphere. There's one more, third sphere. What about those who aren't Christians? Is there anything left for them after this? Does mercy ministry, do the deacons have something that they're supposed to also be doing and caring for the physical needs of the poor who aren't in the church? 
Now, it's not as prevalent in Scripture, not as common in Scripture, but the Old Testament lays some groundwork here for us. It talks about caring for the sojourner who's in your midst, right? the refugee, uh, the person who's, who's there temporarily, the stranger, the one who might not be part of the covenant community, but they're there in your community, and you're supposed to care for them too. And so, or we can look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, Right? There's no exceptions to who is your neighbor that you're called to serve and to love. So the church has a role for this as well. Mercy ministry to the poor, even outside the church. But, but that mercy ministry always needs to be right, tethered to the work of the church. It's not to be divorced from it. We don't give free handouts without saying, well, here's who Christ is. We're doing this in his name, for his glory, for his sake. Come hear a sermon. Come, come meet with, with us and talk with us about, about the gospel as we support you in this. Mercy ministry to the world, the unbelieving world, is a way of saying, see what Christ is like. Here's a picture of the gospel. Here's your deeper need, and here's how Christ meets that. So, these three areas, right? Mercy ministry is diaconal ministry. Diaconal ministry, I mean, is, is mercy ministry in the local church, the wider church, and to those outside the church. Second thing, second heading. Diaconal ministry serves word ministry. Diaconal ministry serves word ministry. So, we look here in Acts chapter 6 again. Verse 2, the apostles say, It's not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Are the apostles kind of putting down diaconal work? Saying, oh, it's not that important, right? We're, gonna, we're not going to leave the Word of God to do this unimportant work of serving tables. They're not, they're, not, they're not doing that. They're not being demeaning about this mercy ministry. But they are highlighting just how important and how primary the preaching of the gospel is and the word of God is. They say in verse 4 that the reason they are appointing these deacons in Acts 6 is so that they can give themselves completely to prayer in the ministry of the word. Interestingly, the word ministry there for the apostles' work that they use is the same word as the word that means deacon. Right, So they're, they're, they're saying, uh, we need table deacons so that we can be word deacons. Right? We, we, need, we need people to serve bread so that we can serve Bible. Right? One is primary, serving the Bible. But, but in order to do that well, we need someone to free us up to do that by serving the bread, serving tables, mercy ministry. So that, that, that's the role that mercy ministry plays and the diaconal ministry plays in relationship to the ministry of the elders. Right? We, we have the word ministry. And the, the deacon's role is sort of like the role of Aaron and her holding up Moses' hands uh, uh, as, he, as, he, as he's there in Exodus uh, in, that, in that battle. Right? As long as Aaron and her hold up Moses' hands, the, the Israelites go on to victory. And, and the diaconal work, is, that's a good picture of that. Right? Supporting the word ministry through mercy ministry. So if you take that principle that, that has lots of implications for what the deacons are free to do and encouraged to do, right? So we said earlier that the deacon's job isn't to be the trustee and the treasurer and the handyman. However, if the deacons can take on those things and free up the elders from those concerns, then that's a wonderful way of fulfilling the role of deacon. 
Wonderful way to serve, right? Right, it's appropriate if it benefits and helps the, the elders in their work that the deacons can take things off their plate like those things. And it's a wonderful thing that our deacons here do so much of that. And they're so good at it. And you should all be very thankful the elders aren't doing it. Because the deacons are equipped and qualified for it. And their work here is vital. This is, this is their work. So, so we should be asking ourselves, what, um, what can we do to better free up the pastor and the elders for the ministry of the word and prayer? That's what the deacons should be asking themselves. They should, the deacons should come and ask the elders, what can we take off your plate so that you can devote yourself to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And the elders should be going to the deacons and saying, could you take this so that we can more ably devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer? Third thing, diaconal ministry is Christ's ministry. Diaconal ministry is Christ's ministry. Now, here I wanted to step back briefly from the immediate context of Acts 6 and, and look a little bit at um, uh, Acts itself as a book. Um, uh, I want to ask here, why is this happening in the Jerusalem church? Why is this situation unfolding? Why is it happening the way it is? Why are the apostles responding the way they are? Because this is a significant moment. Why is this happening? If we, if we look back at the very first verse of Acts, Luke there tells us about the very nature of what's going on in Acts as a book, as a whole. And he says there, Acts 1, verse 1, In the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Luke wrote two books, Luke and then the sequel, Acts. Right? And he said in book 1, I was talking about what Jesus began to do. What's the implication for book two? It's about what Jesus is continuing to do. All right, it's not so much the acts of the apostles as the acts of the risen Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit through his apostles. So Acts chapter six, then, if we're following out, if we're following this out, then Acts chapter six is about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach and, and how he's continuing to build his church by his spirit. My, my point here, brothers and sisters, is that what's going on here as the diaconate is formed in Acts 6 is that Jesus himself is directing it and superintending it. That there's, it's, it's because of his plan. And the implication here is that diaconal ministry is near and dear to his heart. It's important to him. It's vital we already saw a reference, Matthew 25, where Jesus speaks about how the least act of mercy to one of his brothers and sisters is an act of love and faithfulness to him that he'll note and he'll remember. And we see this evidence throughout his life. We see the, the compassion of Christ, the pity of Christ, the mercy of Christ as he heals the sick and as he casts out demons. He is, he is ruling over his church here and, and giving them this office of a deacon so that, so that his mercy for sinners might flow out all the more freely and fully. This is something that is precious to Christ. And so he's giving the deacons to the church and he's the one who equips the deacons for their ministry. He's directing all of it. And 
That hasn't stopped. He did it in Acts 6. He continues to give to his church the officers of his church, as we read in Ephesians 4. He continues to give his church pastors, elders, deacons. He continues to call up in our church deacons to serve him. What does this mean for us? It means that the deacons we have, your deacons, have been called to be deacons by the Lord Jesus himself for that role as your deacon. Christ put them there. If you do check out that deacon's catechism, you'll notice one of the questions speaks to this, but it says, um, uh, it says that uh, when, you, uh, when you hear a call to serve from one of your deacons, when one of your deacons you know, calls you up, are you able to help out here? Christ put that deacon there. Christ himself, in a sense, is asking you if you're able to serve. The deacons, the deacons put out something to the church. We need some assistance here, right? That call is coming from Christ asking the church, will you serve me? And so we, when we hear the deacons asking for assistance with a project, with asking for, for, for help with a, with a project, we should hear that coming from our Lord Jesus Christ who put the deacons there to ask us those kinds of questions. And when we receive the, the good work the deacons do, when, we're, when we are the ones receiving that mercy ministry from them or that assistance from them, we should receive it from them as though it's coming from Christ Himself. He called them, equipped them, gave them the resources, gave them the wisdom to use them, ordained that they give it to you. So receive it as though it's from Christ Himself. That means you should receive it graciously, humbly, and giving all the glory to Christ. Fourth heading. Diaconal ministry requires spirit-filled servants. Diaconal ministry requires spirit-filled servants. What makes a good deacon? What should a deacon be? This is what we're looking at here. We see what kind of men are qualified for being deacons. In verse 3, if you have the text, you can read it there. We read that the apostles asked the church... Basically, to nominate seven men, right? Write down your suggestions. Church in Jerusalem, they're saying, send them in to the apostles. We'll take a look at them. Nominate seven guys to serve as deacons. And here's what you should look for. Men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. Then in verse 5, Luke reports that one of the men, Stephen, was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And I think that description of Stephen applies to all the deacons He's an exemplary one. And if we take those two verses, verse 3 and verse 5, and put them together, we get a really nice portrait of the deacon, of what a deacon should be. First thing we see, a deacon should be a servant. Now, it's not outright said, look for a servant, but the word deacon itself means servant. It is in the definition. That's the literal meaning of the word. This is, this is what a deacon is to be. So you, you don't look for someone who is um, ambitious to, 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 to be in charge of something or ambitious to be in the know and the inner circle of, of what's going on, but you look for someone who wants to serve. Someone who doesn't want to be seen by others, but who, someone who loves Christ, loves the church of Christ, and wants to humbly serve that church. 
The second thing we see in this portrait of a deacon is that this deacon has a good reputation. Deacons need to be well respected by others. This starts in the church. You don't call someone to be a deacon who doesn't already live like a deacon, who doesn't have a reputation of servant-hearted service for others and integrity. Right? You've got to find someone you can trust. A man is going to be dealing with important things. It has to be someone that, that has some, some, some kind of a, a reputation for being a godly man of integrity. Does his family think he should be a deacon? Do his wife and children who see him at his best and his worst, do they think he should be a deacon? Does those in the community, those he runs into out in the community, his co-workers, his neighbors... Would they be surprised to learn you were considering this man for a deacon? Right? We want someone who has integrity. Someone whose actions reflect Christ. This man's going to be representing the mercy of Christ to the church. Does he reflect Christ with that integrity? The third characteristic here is wisdom. Now, what's wisdom? That's not just um, intellectual ability, of course. It's also not just common sense. Uh, It includes both knowing things and having common sense. But wisdom is more than that. In the Bible, wisdom is skill for living well. Right? It's the skill to, to take God's Word and, and to apply it in the different complicated situations that come up. There's a wonderful example of this in Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 26, 4-5 um, is a wonderful picture of, of the essence of wisdom. 26.4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly. Uh, <clears throat> answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Proverbs says, right, here, here's two principles. Right, sometimes you answer the fool, sometimes you don't. You've got to know which, when to apply which one. Right, you've got to know God's wisdom, and you've got to know when to apply it. Diaconal work is often challenging, and you meet with complex situations. Someone's asking for some money. Their, their story seems pretty believable. Are they, do we ask them to come to church first? Do we ask to meet with them first? Do we say, well, can we help you uh, uh, with, with, a, with a, the process of finding a job? Or is there some other way, some, some other thing we can help you with? Right? There's all these questions that come into it. What do you do? It takes wisdom. There's not, just a, there's, no, there's not an exact answer for every situation that comes up. There's wisdom. So a deacon needs to know the Word of God and know how to apply it in these different situations. Fourth mark, fourth characteristic of a deacon is faith. This is mentioned of Stephen. Uh, it seems like it's true of all of these men, of course, that they're full of faith. This means you know God. You trust Him. Uh, you know the faith. You know what the Bible's about. You know the way of salvation. You know what God is, what man is, what Christ is, what salvation is, what the church is, what the end times mean, what the Bible says about these things, right? A, a, a grasp on, 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 on the faith and also filled with trust and confidence in the Christ of that faith. Deacons should be men who read their Bibles, who come to worship regularly, who minister if they're married to their families, 
men who are living out their faith practically in their lives. And then fifth, the fifth mark is uh, that they need to be filled with the Spirit. This, this one's mentioned twice. Um, uh, it's, it's mentioned in verse 3 and in verse 6, then uh, there of Stephen. And then in verse 8, actually, which is just outside the text we read, but it's, 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 it's very close, of course. The equivalent word, power, is mentioned. Luke often uses filled with power, filled with the Spirit as synonyms for the Holy Spirit. And so three times in, in this section here, we get this description of a deacon filled with the Spirit. So this is crucial. What does it mean for a deacon to be filled with the Spirit? Why is that so important? To be filled with the Spirit means the Spirit has given you life in Christ, united you to the Lord Jesus. And, and now that the Spirit fills you, He dominates you. Right? He, he, he's the one who, who fills you and the one, who, and the one who, who rules over you. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Your mind, your heart, your will, your actions, your words are influenced by the Spirit. And you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Why is that so important for a deacon? You can't be a deacon without it. You can't be a deacon without the Holy Spirit. To be a deacon is to be a servant, as we said. And brothers and sisters, to serve as Christ calls us to is an impossible job, isn't it? Without the Holy Spirit. Right? The job of a servant is to get down and do the work humbly, patiently, quietly, with a smile. Right? To, to do the work that Christ has called you to do. Um, Ed Clowney, a, a, a professor at Westminster some time ago, has now passed away. He said some words of the pastoral ministry, which I think are true of the diaconate as well. He said, uh, the stairway to the ministry is not a grand staircase, but a back stairwell that leads down to the servants' quarters. It's very true of the diaconal too. The way to the diaconal ministry is a stairway down the back stairwell to where the servants live. And, and, and this is a job that requires you not to look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Not to count yourself as more significant than others, but to count others more significant than yourselves. To wash one another's feet. Right? Deacons are to take the lead in these things. How are you going to do that? Only if the Spirit has united you to the servant, the deacon, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this is a portrait of, right? All this we've been putting together. The humble servant. The man of perfect integrity. The man of biblical wisdom who knows every situation. Here's what God's Word has to say about this. The man who is full of faith. The man who's filled with and dominated by the Spirit. We're talking about Christ, aren't we? The great servant came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. How did he do that ministry? By the Spirit. How are our deacons going to be servants, deacons, like the deacon Christ? By the Spirit. So, loved ones, we've seen together now what a deacon's called to do, what the purpose of his work is, the essence of his work, and what kind of a man he needs to be. Uh, but I want to close with just a few further practical thoughts. This is one of those sermons where there's a danger. You hear it say, well, 
a lot of good here for a deacon or a prospective deacon, but not much here for me. Um, what, what do I need to learn and take away from, from a sermon like this? Um, first of all, um, I would encourage you, uh, men, men in the church, um, maybe you're not a deacon now, and maybe you don't feel called to be a deacon, but do you think to yourself, you know, why not? Why not consider that? Why not ask, Lord, would you have me do this? There's a need. So why not say, Lord, would you have me do this? And maybe you say, well, I'm not, I'm not in the place right now to do this. Well, why not say, Lord, by your grace, in three years' time, I'd like to be able to be nominated. Right? I'm not, I, I don't think I have the qualifications yet. But, but down the road, I'd like to, by your grace, because I would like to be a servant like Christ for his church. Why not ask that? Why not pray that way to the Lord? What about the women? Maybe you're thinking, well, what about me? Right? I can nominate uh, someone for a deacon, but what else? If you have children, if you have sons, why not raise them to be deacons? Right? Why not encourage that sort of thing? Right? Encourage them in serving, encourage them in humility, encourage them in, in caring for others in compassionate ways, encourage them in knowing the Scriptures so they can be men of wisdom, right? Why not say, I want my sons to grow up to be deacons in Christ's church if the Lord would call them to that. I want them to be equipped for that. There's other things to do as well, right? You can, you can encourage your husbands in this. Consider being a deacon. Consider you know, striving by grace to be more equipped for this. And there's lots of other things you can do too, of course. Right? The deacons in Acts chapter uh, in Acts chapter six. There's only seven deacons nominated. The church was over three thousand. There is no way those seven deacons are are doing all the deacon work. They're leading in it. They're delegating. And there's a long history in the church of women taking a very vital and important role under that leadership and delegation. There's, there's lots to do, meals to be made. And we don't want the deacons really making the meals, right? right so, so volunteer in that way, right? And, 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 and uh, uh, the hospitality and cards and flowers and a phone call, helping watch someone's kids or helping watch an elderly parent or all, all these things, right? So go to the deacons. How can I help? What can I do? This is, this is, what, this is what I feel God has gifted me in. There's a talent he's given me. What can I do? There is, there is much to be done. Now, loved ones, not everyone is called by Christ to be a deacon. And that's okay. You don't have to be called to be a deacon. But you are called to be a Christian. And that means you are called to be a lowercase deacon, a servant in Christ's church. Seeing how you can love and serve in His body. So all of us should be seeking to do this more, seeking, right, to, uh, to serve Christ in this, in this way. In all this, brothers and sisters, deacon or lowercase, unordained servant in the church, deacon, seek Christ, right? He, he is the one who equips us to serve. He is the one who saves us, saves us from our selfish lack of serving. He's the one who saves us for the kind of serving we do to get approval from others, so keep your eyes on Him. He is the great, perfect servant who came to give His life as a ransom 
for our selfishness and our laziness and our lack of love for others. He's the one who clothes us with his perfect righteousness of service to his Father. So trust in him for that. And ask him for his spirit to fill you, that you might serve like he served. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for our Lord Jesus, our servant. What a marvel that he would serve sinners like us. We pray, O oh God, that your gospel of such grace would so permeate us that we would strive to be like Christ out of the gladness of our hearts, out of the gratitude for what we've received in Christ. We pray you'd make us quick to serve, happy to serve for his sake, those who need mercy in your church. Be with our deacons. Be with those who are considering becoming deacons. Be with us as we seek to nominate men who would bring honor and glory to you and to our Lord Jesus. In all of this, O oh Lord, our confidence is that you build your church. So to you we look and you we rest. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.